0: You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Donna Polk, director of preventive cardiology and director of women's heart at Hartford Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. Dr. Polk, welcome to Lipid Luminations. Thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit about something most people may not know about, which is LDL apheresis. Can you actually tell us what that is?
1: Sure. It's a process that we use for patients who are refractory to treatment and dietary interventions for hyperlipidemia. So often it's the patients who are either homozygotes or more commonly heterozygotes that have elevated LDL cholesterols either with or without evidence of vascular disease who despite maximal medical therapy and dietary therapy can't get their LDLs at goal and so it's a process that we do it's an extracorporeal so you take the blood out of the body and essentially filter it and remove the apoB protein so mostly LDL apoB and a little bit of VLDL and then return the blood to the patient and essentially get dramatic reductions in LDL
0: so it sounds like dialysis
1: In a sense, that's probably the thing that people think about because they're laying there in a bed, hooked up to a machine, have their blood removed. There's two different processes that are available and FDA approved in the U.S. And uh, one acts more like a dialysis. It, It removes the blood, separates the plasma. The plasma then gets super heparinized and it actually precipitates out the LDL particles and then gets buffered and the heparin removed and the buffering is a lot like dialysis and then given back to the patient. And the other process uses a column that actually has an affinity with what's in the column to pull out the LDL particles. And again, it's done just with the plasma, and then it's returned to the patient.
0: Is that the liposorber? Right. So there's two ways to go.
1: Right. There's several other ways, but in this country, there's two FDA-approved mechanisms.
0: It doesn't sound like it's a huge growth industry if it's really dealing with what's uh, pretty rare disease of homozygous FH if they're really the prime candidates.
1: Certainly homozygotes, they're one in a million, the LDL receptor defect, the heterozygotes, it's one in 500, so okay, certainly so in everybody's practice yeah. those patients are around. And it's also those patients who are intolerant to medication so they may not have the genetic, receptor defect, but they may act a lot like a heterozygous in the sense that they've elevated LDLs and get myalgias or whatnot or can't tolerate the medical therapy available.
0: Well, if you have a heterozygote in your practice and they have no evidence of disease in terms of, you know, you've scanned them to the hilt, but they have an LDL of 240 despite your best attempts at using different medications. What are the indications for phoresis? Is it just a number or do you really need to have some disease?
1: The way the FDA has approved it currently is an LDL above 200 with evidence of coronary disease. So you've okay. had an event, and that's again despite maximal dietary and medical therapy. And then if you don't have evidence of coronary disease, it's an LDL level of 300. That the FDA has approved the procedure for. It's certainly a moving target and as our data gets better and better that lower LDL targets are more appropriate, that's kind of shifting and certainly some insurers are, are willing to pay for it in patients who have bad vascular disease and remain elevated in their LDL level.
0: How often do you perform this?
1: We do it fairly frequently. I think patients get done about every two weeks, so each patient will come in every two weeks. There are about 55 or so sites throughout the country that do it. There really aren't as many people treated that probably are eligible, so certainly when those patients come through and are evaluated, we certainly try to get them or at least offer that as a potential therapy does take a very motivated patient to do it because it requires a couple hours of their day every two weeks and they need to be really committed for treatment.
0: Do they need an indwelling catheter or you just use IVs every time they come in?
1: Usually we use IVs each time they come in. It might fairly... run out of
0: veins after yeah, 26 you weeks.
1: you do. It is every other week, so it's not like dialysis where they get access three times a week. There are certainly patients who don't have good access. They've had multiple procedures and do need shunts placed, but that's a minority. It's probably 20, 30% of patients over time. But for the most part, we really try to put IVs in and use uh, venous access. They get two anticubital IVs at each visit. And most patients tolerate that quite well.
0: Are there any side effects to the treatment?
1: The side effects are mostly, there's a very small percentage of hypotension. The amount of plasma that's removed, the blood volume that's removed from a patient is 300, 400 cc's per at any one time. So it's often not enough to cause hypotension, Mm -hmm. but occasionally patients will get hypotensive. They will occasionally flush. The big side effect is if patients are taking ACE inhibitors, the bradykinin is released and they, as it goes through the filter in the system that used the dextran sulfate and they get vasodilatation and can have a bad reaction. And so we actually pull patients off of ACE inhibitors and switch them to ARBs or just have them hold it for 48 hours beforehand. In this day and age, we tend to just shift them and put them on ARBs, and there's no problem with that. Some patients get a little fatigued afterwards. I've had patients just go back to work afterwards. Just as people have patients who are in dialysis, some do very well, some get really affected by it. But for the most part, patients tolerate the procedure quite well.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on REACH MD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Donna Polk. She is the Director of Preventive Cardiology and Director of the Women's Heart at Hartford Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. And we are talking about LDL apheresis for people who you cannot get their LDL under control by other means. Dr. Polk, what about the patient with just hypertriglyceridemia and maybe a lipoprotein lipase deficiency? Would they be a candidate for this?
1: They tend not to do as well with the apheresis, often because if the triglycerides are massively elevated, they can clog up the machine itself and limit the therapy. But good hydration and those sort of Preparing the patient beforehand, we can often get them through a treatment if they have a combined deficiency, but the real indication is the LDL level. If they also have high triglycerides, we can often try to treat them. Sometimes we're limited depending on how high their triglycerides are. The patients with pure hypertriglyceridema usually need a plasma exchange and get plasmapheresis instead of apheresis.
0: Let's go back to the average patient, which sounds like is a heterozygous familial hypercholesterolemic patient, and they come to you with an LDL of let's say three hundred, and you you them. Do you do a post farce LDL or a few days later? What do you get them down to, and how long does it last until it creeps up?
1: So the acute lowering of after a, a treatment is anywhere an LDL reduction of anywhere from sixty to eighty percent. And so, what we'll do is measure when they come in, and just as they get off the machine, pull a little bit off and compare. So, that acute lowering happens, you know, just at the end of treatment. And then you do see this rebound happen over the next sort of seven, ten days, and usually at two weeks, it's kind of leveled off. And so, what will happen is the threshold changes. So, patients will get this acute lowering, drift back up. And after repeated treatment, so after four, six, eight treatments, that threshold will then come down. They won't bounce back as high pre-treatment each time. And so on the time average between sort of if you look at how somebody gets treated over time, the reduction is about 40 to 60%. So for somebody whose LDL is in the 300s, they may live with an average LDL sort of in the 140s, 150s.
0: I would assume that you try not to steer patients into doing this and try everything that you can before putting them on this therapy. Do you have any tricks of the trade or any last-ditch efforts that you have discovered that maybe the average lipidologist or average internist out there may not think of to really get their LDL down another 20% You know, after using maximum dose statins and Zetia and... Niacin and plant sterols. Is there anything else that you've seen that has saved someone from the fate of pharesis?
1: I think often these patients are on three, four drugs plus stanol sterol esters. They usually are maxed out. I think spending the time really making sure that they're intolerant, because often they'll say they're intolerant to medications, reintroducing niacin, for example. People will often say, oh, I can't take that. So I'll usually try to reattempt that and kind of handhold them through that. I think just really making sure that they are on all the meds, that they really truly understand when they're supposed to take them. You know, we say they're not compliant, but maybe they just don't understand. And really kind of focusing on their diet as well. These patients are often refractory to diet, and they can be very frustrated because they can say that they're eating a perfect diet and not see a whole lot of effect in their LDL levels. But for those patients, just to really kind of go through everything, really make sure that they're on maximum, truly maximal medical therapy. But, you know, I don't have any other
0: tricks up my sleeve. No magic. No magic. Dr. Polk. Do you have or are you aware of any outcome studies that actually prove that apheresis is better than no apheresis?
1: There are a lot of small studies, one of the you, as you can imagine with this patient population it's harder to have large scale randomized trials and the randomization is a bit unethical to have somebody not Beyond treatment and beyond be treatment. So, there have been a lot of intermediate outcome studies. So, things looking at improved endothelial function, improved myocardial flow by PET. After a single apheresis treatment, those things have all been shown to be effective. Sort of then kind of moving up the more intermediate outcomes. IMT has been shown to be improved with treatment over time with apheresis. And then there have been several angiographic trials which have had mixed results, but if you look at them in composite, you can see that in this population you might expect that there'd be a huge progression of disease. And in fact, those patients that are treated, a majority have no change and some have regression. So I think that even just stabilizing the disease is probably a success in this patient population.
0: So if I have this disease and I come to you and I am hesitant to have this done because it seems like a lifelong endeavor, can you say to me, Dr. Caskell, if I do this, I will decrease your risk of having a heart attack or dying by X percent?
1: There are several outcome studies using patients as their own controls, so looking at before they started treatment and using the number of events and what happened then and comparing it afterwards. And there's a couple different studies. One showed about a 44% reduction in events, and another looking over 10 years showed a 72% reduction in morbidity and mortality. So some good evidence that treatment, you know, once patients got on apheresis, that they reduced their likelihood of having an event.
0: Well, Dr. Donna Polk of Hartford Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.